We're going to continue, uh, you know, walking together in this series called uh, The Kingdom, uh, The Kingdom of God. And um, I want to invite you to stand with me as we read a scripture together. It's going to appear on the screen. And uh, I'll lead out. If you'll read aloud, that would be great. It's from Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Let's read together. After John was put in prison... Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this moment. Open our ears, our hearts, so that we not only understand, but can live out what you put inside us. Amen. Amen. All right, take a seat. So today, as we um, learn together about the kingdom of God, I want to give you some uh, words that would sort of be placeholders, almost like an outline. Uh, So establishing the kingdom, that's our emphasis today. Uh, Then we'll pick up next week with explaining the kingdom. And then we'll move on to experiencing uh, the kingdom of God. Uh, When we talk about uh, the kingdom of God, this is a great place to start that verse we just read. It's a significant moment. It is the, um, the beginning of the public life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And he comes on the scene just after John goes into prison. Uh, John was a man who from birth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was commissioned by God really to be the one who announces Uh, the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah. And uh, that happened at a public moment, Jesus' baptism. But up until that moment, John had been preaching about the kingdom of God. So it's important that we know about the kingdom. Uh, After John goes into prison, Jesus comes and he says, the time has come. We're going to talk about why he said that. The time has come. And he said, the kingdom of God is near. One translation says, it's at hand. And he says, repent and believe the gospel. So the start of his public ministry was the kingdom of God. The end of his public life and ministry, what do you suppose he was talking about? Anybody want to guess? Kingdom of God. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, we'll put that up. This is the end of his public life and ministry just before he ascends back to heaven. It says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So there you have it. Mark 1, 14 and 15, that's the beginning of Jesus' public life and ministry. Acts 1, 3, that is the end of Jesus' public life and ministry on earth. And in between those bookends, what do you think he talked about most? The kingdom of God. Here's a verse that underscores that. In Luke chapter 13, verse 18... It says, then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? That's Luke 13, 18. And Jesus talked often in public, in private, in the marketplace, in the synagogue, in the temple. Every place he went, talking to individuals, small groups or crowd, he talked about the kingdom of God. So the New Testament has an emphasis on the kingdom of God. Uh, Some of you, like me, grew up in a local church context, and so 
you are very familiar with the church, but the church is not the kingdom. If you were to think of concentric circles, the outermost circle would be the kingdom of God, and the inner circle within that one would be the church. So the church is not the kingdom, the church is in the kingdom. The church is God's vehicle in the earth to declare and demonstrate the life of the kingdom to the world. The church is not a building, not a physical building. It's people who God has built into himself and to one another who then, having Christ living in our lives, are called out of darkness into the light, into the kingdom of Jesus. So the kingdom of God is what is emphasized in what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, those first three books or letters in the New Testament, you see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven being talked about, preached about, lived all through. Matthew used the kingdom of heaven, whereas Luke and Mark talked about the kingdom of God. The reason is Matthew's audience was primarily Jewish. And Jews uh, were, out of their reverence, would not want to mention the name of God on their lips. So they wouldn't say God's name out loud. So Matthew, understanding his audience, said kingdom of heaven. Mark and Luke, having a different audience, were able to say kingdom of God. But whether you say kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, they're coterminous. They mean the very same thing. Got it? So this is really important, the kingdom. Now, because... Oftentimes, we who grew, how many grew up in a local church? Look, look around. Keep your hands up. Look around. Most of us. How many of you, keep your hands up, how many of you who grew up in the church heard the message continuously where it kind of resonated in you about the kingdom of God? Keep your hand up. Okay, a lot of those hands went down. Okay, you can all put your hands down. This is so important. I'm going to tell a story. And by the way, when Jesus talked about the kingdom of God between the beginning and the end of his public life of ministry, all the time. You hear him saying, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. And we'll get into that more next week. He'll say the kingdom of God is like um, leaven that a woman kneaded in some dough or flour until it spread like yeast and filled the whole thing. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's really small, but it grows and becomes expansive, becomes the largest there is. So every time he's using images from... Uh, the culture and what was common to the people of that day, they could understand because they knew about mustard seeds, they knew about leaven and yeast, right? But what they didn't know about was the kingdom of God. So in order to bring some familiarity to the kingdom of God, he uses what's in our context. Even to this very day, when God reveals himself to us, he will oftentimes step into our context, into what's familiar to us, to make himself known. He'll use something that you already know about to reveal himself. And the largeness of who he is is much bigger than what he stepped into, but that's just him giving you a glimpse. But it's a small glimpse. It's just a scratch of the surface. But it's so important that we understand the kingdom because the Bible says, when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, and when he talks about preaching the gospel, he's talking about the gospel of the kingdom. It's not the gospel of the church. Jesus didn't preach the church. He preached the kingdom. But when you preach the kingdom, people come into the church. Then they go back out to influence the world from which they themselves were found And now, not lost but found, dead now made alive. And because of that transforming power that happens in you, 
Remember, entrance is just the beginning point, but there's a revolution, a renewing of our mind that starts to cause us to live kingdom. And I'm just, I'm just so uh, encouraged that God gives us the capacity by a spirit to live kingdom. The world is so familiar to us. We see it in movies, we read it in books, it's on social media. We know the way of the world. The Bible says the, the, the way of the world is just the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. And those three things you've all heard before, but when you really play it out, like the love of money being the root of all evil, it's what's not right in the world. But that's, I don't want to get ahead. So anyway, we got the kingdom, right? So uh, by kingdom, we mean the rule of God. The kingdom of God refers to his rule, his reign, and his realm is universal. There's no place in the universe where God's uh, rule fails to exist or he has authority. Now you might say, but I don't see it historically where I'm living in my time. It doesn't look like the kingdom's ruling and reigning. There's a good reason for why it appears to be that way. Because there's both the present reality of the kingdom today, but there's also the future reality of the kingdom as well. And there's a tension of what's coming and what's already here. Right? And so, uh, but trust me, if the kingdom weren't here in some measure, God, you, there'd be no ounce of mercy. The fact that we see any mercy, the fact that there's any forgiveness, the fact that there's any kindness, for the fact that there's any power or love is evidence of God's presence. Yeah. Whether you connect it to him or not, it's, it, it all comes from here. All power comes from God. The Bible says power belongs to God. Now, I grew up hearing a phrase that's in the world. It says that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I believe that, which is why you need to examine your heart, because what you believe dictates how you live. Right. Well, power belongs to God, and God's not corrupt, so power can't be corrupt. So the problem lies elsewhere. It's when power is given to those who are corrupt, their power rides on their corruption. But since God has absolute power and is absolutely pure, then absolute power does not corrupt. Because God doesn't corrupt. Can you imagine how many things we just believe that are just like, have been bouncing it around in us for however long you've been living? And it's not true. So to the degree that truth isn't in us, to that degree we're missing some aspect of the kingdom. Helpful? All right, so we got the bookends. Um, John was preaching about there being a judgment, but Jesus comes, and we're going to work back now because he said the time has come. So this is not the first mention of the kingdom. I want to go back, and this is Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. We're going to take our time, so don't feel like you have to have all the answers today or we get through everything today. We're going to lay this out over the next couple of weeks. Today's just about establishing the kingdom. In Luke chapter 1, verse 31, 33, it says, You shall call his name Jesus. Now, this is a conversation that's happening with Gabriel, an angel sent by God as a messenger to a young virgin named Mary, who's actually going to conceive and give birth to Christ as a virgin. You shall call his name Jesus, the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There it is. So even before Jesus enters into, uh, as it becomes human, before he even is in Mary's womb, Mary is getting what we've just talked about in terms of Jesus saying the time has come. Well, before that time had come, Mary conceived. And she's told about the kingdom, right? Isn't that great? Yeah. 
Now, it's very interesting. I'll point this out here. It says, you should call his name Jesus, Jehovah saves. This is really important because as Peter preaches elsewhere in the, in the, in the Bible, salvation is found in no one else. Only in Jesus. So the kingdom and the king is not only king, but he's also a savior. I grew up in a context where I was, I, I, I was trained in my thinking to think of God primarily as savior, not as king. So therefore, I didn't think of him as ruler or him having reign in my life. I thought of him as this is the guy who's going to get me out of trouble every single time. You know that person, man, I was in a car accident, it flipped eight times. We walked away from it, and I was crying. Woo, God saved me. Right? And it's true. But that matter of him saving you is his mercy. That's not necessarily salvation. That doesn't mean you're in the kingdom just because, because he has mercy on all people. That's why the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. So God is kind even toward his enemies, which is how we got to be his kids who were first his enemies. All right, so this is really important. So this is 30 years before Jesus is even uh, conceived, right? But let's go back a little further in time. Isaiah chapter 9, 6a, I'm going to read part of that in 7. And this is the verse you hear a lot of times at Christmas, um, you know, Christmas, Christmas sermons. But I think it's appropriate for today when you talk about the kingdom. You'll see why. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. Who's the writer speaking about? Very good. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So for all you lovers of math, where are all my mathematicians in the room? Raise your hand. Right. So to me, this is, this is math in here. Of the greatness, one version says, of the increase of his government. So we're not talking about a democracy. We're not talking about the Diet or Knesset or any, any uh, human government. We're speaking about God's government, his rule. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. That's a beautiful thing. Meaning, as the government of God increases, so does God's peace increase. So the absence of peace in your life, the absence of peace in a marriage, the absence of peace in a family, in a community, in a church, in a city, in a nation, in the world, the absence of peace is the absence of what? God's government. Because wherever God's rule comes, his peace is there as well. Think about how much peace you have when you're being ruled and governed by God. Think about how much peace you lack when you're being ruled and governed by your appetites or by anger or fear or worry. We were never designed to be ruled or governed by anything or anyone other than God. We're at our best when we're in submission to God. Isn't that helpful? It goes on, it says, he will reign on David's throne. We'll get into later who David is. You're like, who's David, right? Is that the guy who came in this morning who ushered me to my seat? No, not that David. He will reign on David's throne uh, and over his, what? Kingdom, there it is. Establishing and upholding. There it is. Establishing and upholding. Establishing what? No, 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 no. Establish it. Who said that? All right. She gets a prize establishing the kingdom. So it's, we've already established, it says, for to us a child is born. 
That's speaking of Jesus, specifically of his humanity. A child is born. A son is given. This speaks to him being the son of God. That speaks specifically of his deity. When Jesus appears on the earth, he is both man and God. Humanity and deity in one. It's a great mystery. Fully God, fully man. The only person to ever be on the planet to to be such. So he comes and he's the one who's going to reign over the kingdom. And he's the one who's going to what? Establish it. So when Jesus comes and says the time has come, the kingdom of God is near, he is fulfilling the Old Testament prophecy, and this is one among many, that Isaiah declared and many others spoke about Moses and others, that Jesus was coming. Now, we said that that moment between Mary and Gabriel was, you know, obviously 30 years before Christ was, was uh, announcing that, right? Because she conceived him, gave birth, he grew up in 30 years, he comes on the scene publicly. How far in time before is this moment prophesied by Isaiah? To, in other words, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, government will be on his shoulders, he's the one going to rule over the kingdom, he's the one going to establish the kingdom and uphold it with righteousness and justice. Please note, righteousness and justice, we'll talk about that later in the series. And, and I may come back to it and just give you a, a tidbit about it now. But how much time between... Isaiah making this prophetic declaration and Jesus going, the time has come. Anybody know? Yes, back there. About 400 years. I like this interactive church thing. It's great. I got 400, yes. 1,200. We got 1,200. I got 400. got 1,200. 400, 1,200. Once going twice, yes. 900 years to the man in the back. CJ, sold. It is nine, over nine centuries from the moment that a man who was a messenger of God, Isaiah, you can read his, his whole book in the Old Testament, made a, perfect, a prophetic declaration. By prophetic declaration, we're saying that he was inspired by God to speak that which is eternal in the temporal about what God was going to unfold in time. So this prophetic declaration there were people who heard Isaiah said that, and Isaiah died, and they probably thought, yeah, that word probably wasn't true. He died and didn't even come to pass. No, it wasn't for time. Here's the takeaway. God's word, like himself, is eternal. And because it's eternal, it is unhindered by time. Everything happens according to God's appointed time in history. The kingdom is timeless. It's eternal like God. So for God, there is no past, present, or future. For us, we, get, we can't get our minds around that because we know everything has a beginning and an end and we think linearly. But God goes, I'm the same yesterday, yesterday today, and forever. Um, a thousand days is like a, a day to me or a thousand years is like a day to me. A day is like a thousand years to me. I mean, what, I mean that's just amazing. Like, tilt. So when you have encounters with God, it's an eternal moment. It's as if time is standing still. Which is... Which is why, even though there are things that have happened to you in your past, abuses, painful things spoken over you, 
harmful things that happen because God's eternal. He can touch you in the place that you got hurt in the past because he's not bound by time. So you can be healed in the present as a result of something that happened to you a long time ago. And that's why we sing there's healing in your name because whatever I'm dealing with today, it doesn't matter that I'm still struggling with today. If I encounter the king and the kingdom enters into me, he can heal me of anything that happened in my past. And not only my past, break the past from the generational lines that have come down from my father and grandfather and grandparents, it doesn't have to continue because the king can change all that. He never says it's too late. He never says it's too early. It's amazing. The kingdom is so vast. All right, so we got all that. So we talked about Jesus saying the kingdom is here, bookends, and then we went back, his birth, and then we went back even before then. Can I tell you the first mention in the Bible of Jesus coming is not even Isaiah. In fact, it's in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. It's the moment where God comes walking in the cool of the day. They have sinned against God. They're experiencing shame and they're hiding from a God who still loves them. And God in speaking to Adam says some things and then when he speaks to Eve, he says this. He says to, and, and to the snake serpent, he says this. I'm going to put enmity between your seed, the serpent, and the woman's seed, Eve. The seed is reference to the offspring. And the offspring of Eve is Christ. So as early as the beginning, this was God's plan. Isn't that amazing? All right, glad you were so happy to hear all that. That was really... Okay, so let's... Got all that. Now let's go further. The kingdom of God refers to God's rule. It refers to his reign, his, his kingship. You know, we did a series called His Image, and we just, we see how personal God is. He's, he's not distant and impersonal. He's close. We talked about the love that the Father has for the Son and the Holy Spirit, and the love that the Son has for the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit for the Father and the Son, and, and, and the dynamic and one theologian, many theologians calls it the, the, the Trinitarian dance of how God relates. Three persons, one God. And it's, again, our minds go tilt. And the invitation for God's creation to participate in the dance. So let's look at that. Um, the kingdom of God is here. God's rule is here. Here's a quote from J. Uh, Rodman Williams, who's a scholar and uh, is known for his work called The Renewal Theology. It's three volumes. I encourage you to read that. Um, he says this, quote, Christian faith affirms that all of history moves to a definite end or goal. This movement in history may be noted in first, first in relation to creation and consummation. The whole of history moves forward between these poles. It's, let, let me picture it. The beginning of time, we call that what? Creation. The end of time, as we know it, we call that consummation. That's Genesis 1-1. This is Revelation 21-1. That's the first book in the Bible, the last book in the Bible. History. Again, humanity, we have this space-time continuum that we live in that God enters into, but he's not bound by it. We are. So, in the beginning, when God created um, the heavens and the earth, long before he got to everything on earth, everything in heaven was done. He named everything by his rule, his reign, angels, all that going on. You know, it's, it's just phenomenal. 
Now he comes and you have consummation, which is a new heaven and a new earth. So we haven't got to consummation. Between creation and consummation, we have Christ showing up going, the time has come. So everything before here we call before Christ, B.C. Everything after we call A.D., which means what? Right, in the year of our Lord. So we're living between those two poles. In fact, we're living between Christ and consummation. These people live between creation and Christ. They were looking forward to Christ coming for the first time. We, on the other side of Christ, are looking forward to his second return. Right? They weren't ready for him coming. How are we looking? How are we looking? Like, if you go back to Noah, and we'll get into that, it says they were eating and drinking and marrying, doing the normal things of life when the flood came. They weren't ready. And only eight people got on the boat. But there were more than eight people on the planet. They were not ready. So judgment came. A flood came. And God says, I'm going to start all over with Noah, his wife, his three sons, their wives, and all the animals. It was a reboot of the system. We're supposed to learn from that lesson. We're on this side, and he's coming again. This time he came as a lamb. So he's not, his reign and rule is offered as a gift. But you're free to reject it. When he comes back, it won't be a lamb. Roar. Oh, oh, you're that God. But I thought you were the lamb. I am. And the lion. But when he comes back, it's too late to say, excuse me. Like I was... I was busy, right? I was just, I was just trying, you know, I was trying to, I was trying to figure, oh, well, do I have time? You've had a lifetime. There is no time. There's only eternity. And there's only two options, eternal life or eternal death. And that was determined in time. It can't be determined now that time is no more. So you probably won't live to consummation. You only got like 80, 90 years of the time. How you living? How you living? And we can't have the culture as an excuse for our life. Because the kingdom is so transformational that you can live in the kingdom while living in the world and be governed by the king, not the world. Now you say, I'm struggling with that. Everybody is. (laughs) But you better get connected with the right people who are making it. Okay, are we doing it? We're doing it. We're doing it. We feel mercy, grace. And... Not surviving, but thriving to the point that it's actually the influence of the kingdom is seen going out from us. May we see enough fruit that makes us go, I think we're trees because I can see fruit. Instead of having no fruit and wondering, are you a tree? We've reduced salvation down to, you know, I went down front, I raised my hand, I'm good. But nobody's good. So... We need to understand the kingdom, right? That should produce a healthy thing in us. Not a, I'm scared to go home today, but I need to know the truth. Really need to know the truth. Helpful? Okay. So given these polls, from the beginning, God's rule, and we said that in Isaiah, again, establishing and upholding it with what? Who remembers? I love you listening, paying attention. Do you read your Bibles? Read your Bible every day of your life. 
Read it every day. He upholds, he establishes and upholds the kingdom with righteousness and justice. Now, we won't unpack the number of scriptures. I don't even know them all, but I've read several that speak to the foundation of God's throne is righteousness and justice. So when we're talking about God's rule, his reign, everything he does is right and just. And as a result, peace flows. Now, God, when he created man, by design extended his rule to his creation. This is a loving God in a world that thinks God is distant and impersonal. Are you kidding me? God in creation said, how personal is this? I'm going to create mankind in my own image and likeness. That is not impersonal when you make somebody like you. It's called having a baby. (laughs) Your kids are in your image, in your likeness, right? And if you don't have kids, you're in the image and likeness of your parent. Amen or oh my, right? Yeah. So this is true. So let's give an example. Um, God named everything in the heaven. So he creates Adam and Eve. And let's look at, at, and everything was good. Everything was right. Everything was just. Genesis 1.28. We'll put that up. This is the first man, the first woman, known as Adam and Eve. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule. That's not accidental. That's intentional. Because we were made in the likeness and image of God, and because the kingdom of God is about God's rule, God's reign, his dominion over everything, made in his image and likeness, we also have in us the DNA of God, which is by design we're called to rule. Now, how you rule matters. He said here, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. If you don't think God is cares about creation, global warming, everything else. It's right here in the beginning. So he says this rule. Now here's the catch. When God extends his rule to mankind, male and female made in his image, by design we rule not autonomously. It's my earth. I'm bad as I want to be. Do whatever I want. Our ruling and reigning is connected to God's ruling and reigning. Which is to say, the degree to which we are governed, ruled by God, then our rulership, our leadership in the earth, is also good. It's right and just. Because he builds or, or makes us after the same pattern with which he rules. So, individually, in a marriage, in a family, in a community, in a city, a nation, in a church... What good leadership or good rulership looks like is that which is at its core, its base, right and just. Anywhere in a nation, a city, a family where the leader is not right or just, it's not good, there's no peace. And why? Because that leader is not connected to being ruled and governed by God. Make it plain, make it plain. Don't you marry a man who is not governed by God. Don't you marry a woman who is not governed by God. At least pursuing submission to his government. You know what happens when you marry somebody who is governed by worry and fear and anxiety? And you are joined with them in matrimony? 
You're now living with that person and living with worry and fe- you have, you have, you have tenants. <laughs> you got roommates. You got folk in your house that you don't know why they're there. And then you start looking at that person saying, you need to stop being like that. And it's not them. It's, it's what's governing and ruling and work. What really, it's the absence of who is ruling and reigning in them. So when you're governed by worry and fear, and then you try to have a conversation in marriage about finances, tithing, I ain't tithing. We, we ain't getting... Vacation, we can't, we can't... See, that's where the kingdom hits the road. That's where the kingdom hits the road. Your parenting. Fathers, it says, don't exasperate your children. You see, it's not just, it's not parents, it says children obey your parents in the Lord. We quote that. But it also says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. I had a guy tell me this week. He was caring for his son and he wasn't doing well and he elevated his voice and he said, my tone wasn't appropriate to the situation. He said, I feel so bad. And I went back and I apologized. I hugged him. I said, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. You know, how do you feel when you're sad? The child told him, he said, well, daddy's sad, and that's why I acted the way I did. Can you forgive me? Child forgave him. Then later he said, you mind if I just lay next to you on your bed? And child fell asleep. And he was telling me all this. And I said, awesome. He said, what? I said, awesome. Yeah, but I just told you what I did. I said, yeah, I know. Look, look, the kingdom, we ain't perfect. But the beauty of what is happening in this moment is that your child realizes that their parent is not a monster. And that their parent is governed by someone that causes them to submit in how they relate to you. So as much as children have a responsibility to relating to parents, parents have a responsibility relating to children. Now the world just says, I brought you into this world. I'll take you out this world. Some of us have been hit more than we should have been. Some of us were hit and struck in anger and abuse. You know, when God disciplines you, he's never abusing you. The Bible says he disciplines you for your good. God never says this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. (laughs) Is anybody still using that line? (laughs) How many heard that growing up? Yeah, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. You didn't believe it then, you don't believe it now. Ah, it hurt me. Is this making sense? As an expression of that rule, God named the angels, the living creatures, everything, the theophonic glory cloud, all the things that Ezekiel, Isaiah, all these guys talked about. But when it came to earth, because he extended his rule to mankind, he said, you name everything. I name everything in heaven, you name everything on earth. This co-regency, rule like I do. What did Jesus say when he came to earth? I'm here as a servant. I don't lord it over. So we have to, we have to, until we are governed by the king and him reigning us, we won't live that way in, on earth with all our relationships. So you say, well, what's wrong with our governments? What's wrong with our law enforcement? What's wrong with people? What's wrong with homelessness? What's wrong with, it, there's only one issue. It's the absence and the rejection of the rule of God. And he actually gives you the choice. How could a loving God, he gave us rulership. 
whether we use it properly or abuse it, it's in our hands. It's not on him. Helpful? All right, I'm going to stop here, and this is where we'll pick up next week. You should write this down and remember. The covenant is the means for extending and establishing his kingdom. The covenant is the means for extending and establishing his kingdom. And for those who want like a head start, homework kind of thing, um, God extends his rule by making a covenant with mankind. The kingdom of God. I'm going to say that again. Listen to this carefully. God extends his rule through relationship. He's not arbitrary. You don't just give anybody your car. You don't just give anybody something that's valuable to you. Parents, you don't just let anybody take care of your kids. You choose them. God extends his rule through relationship. He desires his rule to be acknowledged through a bond. Remember that word. A bond of love, a bond of loyalty, of faithfulness, of glad surrender, and trust. God calls this bond a covenant. It's not just an agreement. It, it, it has more weight than contractual things that we create. Uh, he needed no attorney to draft this. This is his heart. And so some of the covenants that you want to look at are the covenant he made with Noah. The covenant he made with Abraham and Sarah. The covenant he made with David. And then Jesus who establishes the new covenant. So the covenant is the means by which he extends and establishes the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? And when you get covenant and understand what that covenant meant, God intended that for all people to be brought underneath of it. Good? All right.